Brighton TV in Espanol. All right, my fellow Americans, the Sheriff Back Show continues with the good sheriff. Welcome, sir. Well, <laughs> Sam, it's great to be back with you this beautiful Tuesday morning. And I mean, it is beautiful here in Arizona. And it's a, it's an opportunity uh, to be back on the show, right here on TV, the Sheriff Mac Show. Uh, thanks for covering for me. And uh, I have a, a hunch you're going to be doing this a lot more in the near future. Okay. All right, you got a quote, sir, from your Supreme Court case to kick us off as we expose the crime syndicate election tyranny in Arizona coming up as well, right? Yes, absolutely. The most powerful Tenth Amendment decision and probably the most powerful decision uh, pushing back against the federal government for its overreach. Uh, of course, we're talking about the Clinton administration. And uh, in this quote, Scalia is referring to the Constitution. And he says, quote, it divides power among sovereigns and among branches of government precisely so that we may resist the temptation to concentrate power in one location as an expedient solution to the crisis of the day, end quote. The crisis of the day, Sam, boy, <laughs> does Scalia... Uh, address what's going what's going on in america today i love the oh decision. he's expressed I, I love what he did he's he's expressed the solution the reality check on uh many crises since mm. the decision was rendered over 25 years ago but i want to highlight this point to add to scalia's uh educating the american people on the truth and that is this you know the muscles of state sovereignty are weak sheriff why? Because states have not exercised their authority. Do they have the authority? Yes. Do they have the power? No, because their muscles are weak and they've simply shirked their duty. They've jettisoned their responsibility for so long they don't understand how to exercise the muscles and tell the feds to take a hike when warranted. We need to learn to do that. We need to nullify it now. Okay? The federal government can't yeah. interfere with, alter, meddle with, or – um manipulate the constitutional reality of any state. Okay, this is this has been known for quite some time. Our founding fathers knew it. Anthony and Scalia knew it. And we need to know it as well. All right, we got a significant CSPOA update that everybody ought to know. Sheriff, do you want to do the announcement here? Well, the reason uh, I haven't been on as much is that I've taken a, a full-time position with AFLDS, the America's Frontline Doctors. I've served, as you know very well, I've served on their board of directors for the past year, and um, they have gone uh, through some uh, extensive turmoil uh, within the organization, uh, and I was asked to uh, uh, help remedy the problems that they're having uh, and try to get the organization back on mission. And I, I have accepted the position, and it's just going to cut into my CSPOA time. Uh, I'm not leaving CSPOA, but I am turning it, as you very well know, <laughs> uh, 
over to you to uh, run the daily affairs of the CSPOA. I, I still love and believe in the CSPOA. It's been my life. It's who I am. Uh, I, I still believe more than now, more now than ever, that we need constitutional sheriffs standing for liberty, standing against tyranny. And if the sheriffs of this country, if a third, even maybe perhaps a fourth of the sheriffs, which would be about 700, if we had a fourth of the sheriffs standing unitedly uh, in the holy cause of liberty, in defense of liberty and defending our citizens, uh, there's not one single issue that they could not stop. The abuse of government, the corruption of government, the abuse of uh, and bullying of the IRS, FBI uh, weaponized as a political hit squad now, uh, all of that uh, could be remedied by sheriffs uniting and standing together and, and telling uh, all tyrants, uh, you will not commit any of your crimes in my county. And man, if we had seven, eight hundred, a thousand sheriffs doing that, there would be no stopping us. We could restore the, the, the principles of liberty uh, as described in our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. That could happen and would happen tomorrow. And, and so uh, we still have a lot of work to do. And Sam, I want to thank you publicly for accepting the position of CEO uh, of the CSPOA so I can uh, take, I would call it a, a, a kind of a hiatus for a year. Uh, my contract with AFLDS is one year, and uh, at, after that, uh, I intend to uh, re-examine everything uh, that's happening uh, at CSPOA and see what my role will be. I have for some time, as you know, Sam, wanted more sheriffs, former sheriffs and current sheriffs, to take a more active role in, in the training and in the public presentations that I've been um, knocking myself out to do. Uh, as you know, I did 72 public presentations last year in 2021. Uh, and uh, another thing about this whole thing is uh, next month, I will be 70 years old. I know, I know. Thank you very much, everybody. I know I don't look it. Thank you. But I'm, uh, I'm going to be 70 and um, I, I'm going to uh, look at everything going on with my, my life and and with my family and my wife and see what I need to do and maybe I can semi-retire. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know, but I'll examine it with you in a year. But let's make a few things clear. Sheriff Mack is going to be on the uh, newly formalized board of advisors. Uh, we've had a, a board now that's been kind of informal. I will formalize that more. Sitting sheriffs, constitutional attorneys, those are the people that will be on the board. Sheriff Mack will chair the board and remain the founder of CSPOA, and he also remains complete in complete control of the organization now. I will run the day-to-day -day as the CEO. Uh, we wanted to announce that. Um, I'm not really into titles, uh, but we need people to know who to kind of go to for day-to-day -day solutions, uh, et cetera. So we're just calling it a significant CSPOA update. The goal is expansion. We're going to have more sitting sheriffs involved. Uh, at our presentations, our trainings, et cetera. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of things with the board. We've got a lot of opportunities. We're going to be focusing a lot on election uh, integrity problems, as you well know. We're going to be focusing yeah. on asset forfeiture and the right to keep and bear arms, the First and Second Amendments, uh, how we can work with our sheriffs to make sure that we 
uh, create constitutional counties all over the country using the incredible CSPOA resolution. So think of this as an expansion of the CSPOA, and Richard Mack just simply cannot do everything himself. Do not think of this as him not being involved because that's not even close to the truth. All right, I don't give an F blankety star, 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 the son of the <laughs> former G. Gordon, G. Gordon Liddy or the deceased yeah. G. Gordon Liddy drops F-bombs and gets out of control. Uh, what happened was, I guess there was a uh, phone call by a campaign worker for Carrie Lake, uh, and he basically called up the Maricopa County attorney, Tom Liddy, and it turned into an obscenity-laced explosion on the part of Tom Liddy, or the government official, if you will. I don't know if you know that, but Tom Liddy is an attorney for Maricopa County, and what happened was he just went ballistic. So the the uh, campaign worker was saying, hey, you know, we really need to get accurate information from you. We're asking these questions. Uh, you know, we're putting out a lot of information, getting a lot of We don't want it to be inaccurate. Then Tom goes ballistic and says, are you threatening me? And the campaign worker is like, uh, no, this is not a threat. I'm just telling you, we want to make sure the information we're getting from you is accurate. He says, I don't give a shiz. He then goes on and says, blankety blank, F this, F that. We can't even play the audio there's an audio and a video clip i wanted to play but then we as we evaluated it we could bleep out the audio but right on the screen it throws out the f-bomb uh, as it quotes uh, tom liddy and so we've just got to kind of point to the story it's in world net daily uh no let's see it's not world net daily for that one is it anyway um yeah joe kovac world net daily sorry joe kovac yeah. world net daily highlights this story and i'm just telling you right now if there's not problems with the election why would tom liddy the attorney for maricopa county just drop an f-bombs to a campaign worker what, who was what? extremely what's polite. the problem if, well the problem yeah. is they know there's problems sheriff they know there's an election crime syndicate <laughs> going on and they know we're going to well, stop them and they're literally yeah. freaking out as we get closer every second to the truth sheriff well maybe he's sick and tired of people calling and he's finally uh, broke under the pressure of taking too many calls or questions about it. I'm trying to be fair with him, but um, first of all, he should be more professional than that. And if he, if he doesn't want to talk to him, just hang up. Uh, well, and my response to Tom would be this. Why don't you address our concerns openly, candidly, transparently right. so that we can get to the bottom right. of this and quit playing games. Uh, when or you're an attorney, say, you're not an attorney to defend the crime syndicate, Tom. You're an attorney to get right. to the truth. You swore an oath to the United States of America protecting us from enemies, foreign and domestic, and that includes crime syndicate, election, um, I don't know what you call them, manipulators? Uh, <laughs> well, well, anyway, I knew his dad, I knew his dad very well, and we were very good friends. Yeah. And he had me on his show uh, about a dozen times, and G. Gordon Liddy and I shared the st same stage numerous times. Uh, he was an, Amer an amazing American icon. His story is phenomenal. But I don't believe uh, G. Gordon Liddy would support his son's uh, vulgarity uh, or his, his lack of control. Uh, he should be professional. He is uh, paid by the taxpayers of Maricopa County. And he should simply say, look, we're looking into it. Uh, I can't uh, divulge everything that's going on, but we appreciate everybody's concern. And we're trying to get to the bottom of everything that happened uh, in this election. But that, that's all he needed to say. Agreed. Uh, but when I, you're the I, attorney, yeah. though, and you're asked questions and you say you don't give a shiz, I'm kind of yeah. saying, you know what? 
you don't have any right as an attorney. He should be fired over this. And then to start dropping F-bombs to a very polite campaign person. And then to say, it, it sounds like you're threatening me. You can hear the phone call. There is no threat. Go listen to it. WND.com. I'd love to play it, but we, but we can't because it's got the F-bomb on the screen. It'd take too long to block all that out. But all I'm telling you is, look, the attorney that's responsible for this, all right, has no right when you're a government official to literally tell citizens, I don't give a shit, and then dropping yeah. the F-bomb. Okay, you, I'm just telling you, it's out of line, unacceptable, and uh, especially when they're claiming there's no election problems at all. You know, it's that, okay, Josh Barnett, who was running uh, on the Republican ticket in Arizona now, says the machines were never properly certified by the appropriate accredited company. So I guess that's according to state law. I guess what happened was, let me see how this is. It's 26-442B is the law that they point to. You see, so if they don't have certified machines, you know what? Then those votes on those machines are illegal votes, okay? And I guess the Maricopa County recorder, Stephen Richard, uh, was lying because he said that the, um, the the vote machines were all certified, but he failed to mention that it was not by an accredited company. So now we're playing games with the certification of the machines, Sheriff. Do you want to respond to that well, before we – Stephen Richer also uh, said that uh, the day before they made sure all the machines uh, were operating uh, appropriately and uh, that the ink in the printing machines had also been uh, checked. And obviously that was a lie. Uh, okay. Well, maybe and then they lied mistake. further. They lied further, Sheriff, because they claimed that it was limited tabulation problems. Now it turns out that 11 roving attorneys are all stating, you know what, it wasn't near limited like they claim. It was much more broad, affecting over 60% of the machines for a much more significant portion of the voting day than they alluded to in the first place. So this is why well, we press Tom starts dropping F-bombs because he knows we're getting close. The result, though, of that is no matter how many machines – were inoperable or not operating uh, 100%, uh, people were told to go to a different place. Their ballots were put in a different receptacle that nobody's used before. Nobody have, knows how secure those were or where they went. But this is what happened. People were told to go to a different place. Then there, some of them were told, no, you got to go to a different place to go vote. And by the time people actually uh, got to uh, vote at a place that was a polling place that was actually working and operable, uh, they had to get back to work. They had to get back home. They had to get their kids to school. Uh, they had to go on with their lives. And and taking that much time, yes, it did disenfranchise people. We just simply don't know how many. But it was it's because Maricopa County did not have their act together. They did not know what they were doing. You got that right. So, and that brings up our guest, Robert McDowell, and he's going to provide an update on the various counties in Arizona now that are simply refusing to certify the fraudulent election in Arizona. Robert, welcome to the Sheriff. Good Bachelor. morning. Good morning. Well, All right. Uh, do you want to comment on what we've said thus far? Well, as resident of Mojave County, we're glad to hear that uh, – because Maricopa County makes up over two-thirds of the electorate, it leaves us kind of helpless out here when they're mismanaging what they're doing. So uh, Cochise County, Yavapai County, Ela County have all said, hey, 
uh, until you get your act together, we're not going to certify this election, which, of course, uh, forces their hand to do something. And now Mojave County has joined in as a through a, as a show of unity that we're not willing to tolerate it either. Um, there's no confusion in Mojave County who won the election uh, here. And we ran our, our elections correctly. And um, but we can obviously see through Maricopa some of the <clears throat> mathematical things that stand out. For example, how in the world did the treasurer? Uh, we know how it worked, but how in the world did the treasurer get 400,000 more votes than anyone in the election? Um, the, the the and then on top of that, you have the um, the, the the mine inspector. Something so obscure, yet it's a state ticket. And so what happened was uh, Republicans have been telling everybody, vote straight ticket, get all the Republicans in we can, and we'll deal with the ones that we don't like after they're in office, but we have to get control. The the the, um, the inspector got 1.6 million votes, double what it's ever happened in history. And so we suspect that that's actually how many votes Carrie Lake got. And then they found a way to massage it and make the votes go away. And this is all going to come out in the wash because um, – and they're starting to show their hand because on some uh, websites – we're starting to screen grab websites. But on some websites, the number for the mine inspector suddenly is now being changed to zero. Uh, or on some websites, it's suddenly being changed to 800,000. But it's too late. We already have it, and there's no way they can undo it. So. So they're, Robert, they're literally trying to change the numbers as they they were done within the first two or three days. They're literally trying to change those. Yes, we have we have saying? screen grabs. Yes, sir. We have we have screen grabs okay. of the official uh, Secretary of State's uh, website showing one over 1.6 million votes, and yet on other uh, government websites, it's only showing 800,000 votes, uh, and they've actually changed it. Or some of the news organizations realizing, like, uh, uh-oh, we uh, we really need to cover this up. Um, they're starting to show zero results for the mine inspector. Well, it wasn't zero. It could never be zero. But, uh, okay, so wait, let's go back a little bit. So who's Robert McDowell? Why are you so involved in this? What is your position? What is are, Why are you doing this? Well, you know, I started out as a volunteer for the CSVOA. Um, I met you in Las Vegas, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I was a little starstruck with the uh, amazing amount of people who were there. You had you yeah. had people who are um, leaders in, in, the, in the different things that they do, and they were all in one place. And once I saw that uh, the only way this is we're going to help ourselves is we have to help ourselves. Uh, no one's going to come to rescue us. There's no... Uh, there's no secret army that's going to race in and save the day. Uh, we're on our own. Mm-hmm. And so this is mm-hmm. the part that I can do. And um, and I'm really happy that I can play a role in, in some small way to support that the sheriffs are the most powerful um, peace officers in the nation. Well, I really do love your shirt. Oh, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, Sheriff, uh, one of the things that we need to really focus on, and I want Robert to respond to this as well. On November okay. 8th, I don't know if you know, but the day of the midterm elections, 11 of the, quote, roving attorneys tasked with observing election processes 
in the Republican National Committee's, quote, RNC election integrity program in Arizona collectively visited nearly 52% of the county's voting centers. That's according to a memo they've now sent to party officials uh, and candidates. And these roving attorneys, uh, the leader of the group, I guess, is Mark Snengler. Uh, and this was obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation, highlights this problem where 60% of the uh, tabulators had problems for significant portions of the day. Um, This is not a minor issue, and I don't see how they can claim that it is. When you then put these um, ballots in special bins and then you ship them off elsewhere to be counted, you have literally violated the custody or the chain of custody of ballots here. How can they pretend this is nothing? Robert? Well, I, you know, here in Montana, <clears throat> fortunately, we don't have the tabulators. We we put them into a box and they're tabulated, you know, somewhere else. But it did show online when I confirmed my vote was counted. Now, interestingly, I have friends in Maricopa County who went, he, a man took his elderly mother to vote and they went together and they had the troubles that you're talking about. They tried to scan multiple times. Eventually, they went through. And interestingly enough, out of the millions of people that I know in Maricopa County, how is it that I know two people who are related who now went online and showed their vote was not counted? And, and this is something I stress yeah. that people do. The word needs to get out. Go out on the on your voter registration and look up your voter history, and it will show if your vote was counted. And theirs was not. And yet they know they went and they know they did it and they know that the scanner took their ballot. So the next question becomes, though, when Josh Barnett and others are now saying, look, the machines were never properly certified. This is against state law. Now, this one gentleman uh, basically argues about this. Um, Let's see. What's this guy's name? Um, Stephen Richard. Stephen Richard basically says, yeah, they were certified. But then Josh says, you know, yeah, they might have been verified, um, certified, but not by a certified company, according to the law. That means all votes are bogus and illegal. We'll talk about that in seconds on the Sheriff Mac show right here on Brideon.tv. Watch Uncensored sat123.com they have put together a really incredible package emergency backup communications if you don't want to eat gmos and pesticides in your storable food choose organic lab tested storable food solutions from the health ranger store we are the only emergency food manufacturer in the world that subjects each of our ingredients to rigorous laboratory testing that covers herbicides heavy metals aflatoxins identity testing and bacteria tests including e coli salmonella yeast and mold at healthrangerstore.com you'll find certified organic lab tested freeze-dried fruits microalgae superfoods protein powders and supplements we offer emergency first aid colloidal silver products made with texas rainwater and our ranger buckets feature an impressive assortment of organic storable food items professionally vacuum sealed in heavy duty bags that are stacked in rugged buckets for long-term storage Check out our preparedness foods, supplements, personal care, and emergency first aid products at healthrangerstore.com. This was made possible by Brighteon.com. 
after being deplatformed by YouTube, I built Brighteon.com so that we can speak. All voices of dissent are welcome. Join Brighteon.com now. Post your videos today and start building an audience there where you will not be censored. Brighteon.com. SAT123.com. They have put together a really incredible package. Emergency backup communication systems, power systems. We've got sat phones. We've got uh, solar panels and also the big 400 watt solar panel behind us there. And why does this matter? Because of course, right now we are dealing with massive risk of blackouts and the power grid is just failing, you know, intermittently, but it's going to get worse because we've also got energy shortages. Think about the lack of coal power, the diesel problems that are happening right now. If you're in the military or the National Guard or Border Patrol or law enforcement and you need to be able to function even when the power grid goes down, or maybe you're a first responder, rescue team, firefighter, paramedic, you name it, you need to know about this equipment. So SAT123.com, folks. Welcome back. Our guest, Robert McDowell, who's following these election shenanigans. Some are saying, don't dare call it shenanigans, Sam. It's way beyond that. It's literally the crime election syndicate. And I have a hard time disagreeing with him. But the various counties in Arizona now are getting so concerned about this, they're now refusing to certify the fraudulent elections. And Josh Barnett was running for office, but now he's saying, hey, these machines were never properly certified. The leaders say, yeah, they were. And Josh comes back and says, not by a legally approved certified uh, company. So all these votes are illegal because they're against the law if they're not properly certified machines. What do you say, Robert? Right. Well, you know, the way that everything needs to be done according to the law, that's what's important. Uh, you know, if the other side saw us doing something against the law, they wouldn't hesitate to bring it out. But the other thing is, that you have to look at the obvious um, malfeasance of how they're counting the votes. You know, here in, in all the outer counties that are almost negated, uh, it's uh, as if our votes aren't going to count because if it, not for Maricopa County, for example, uh, Carrie Leak would be the governor-elect without a doubt. So, so you have one county that has the ability to um, offset everything that's going on in 14 other counties, and it's just not right. And we just have to stand up and say, look, we know you're doing it wrong. We did it right. Um, and we're not going to let you uh, run us, you know, railroad us and, and say, hey, this is the person uh, that we decided is going to be the governor, even though we know that um, obviously we cheated. So uh, a follow up question before we turn it over to Sheriff Mack again. The question, mm -hmm. though, is, look, if these machines literally were not properly certified by a, quote, you know, approved company or whatever, right? By an accredited right. company is, I guess, the term to use. Then he's right. All those votes are literally illegal then, aren't they? Well, they're, they're illegal and they can't be used. And what really needs to happen is we need to do a new election. It's not, un, it's not unheard of. It can be done very quickly, but it needs to be done not by the people who stand to, who stand to, uh, um, 
stay in power Women. who mismanaged the election <laughs> of 2020 uh, and yeah. and who know that if if uh, Carrie Lake and Mark Finchin of Abe Aberdeen and and uh, and 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 uh, Senator Masters go into office, uh, they're very likely going to jail. And that's why they're trying to stay in power. Sheriff Mack, this is insane because if this if Josh Barnett's right on this and others, they're saying they're full of conspiracy theories. But look, this is very simply the company that quote did the certification. Number one, we need certification proof. Number two, we need credit accreditation uh, proof. Um, this is a pretty easy thing to prove or disprove, is it not? Sheriff Mack? Yeah, it is. It is. It absolutely is, Sam. And that's a real good point. Uh, you either uh, document who and what company uh, certified your uh, tabulation machines for this election, or you can't. If you can't, then there's no question that there should be a new election. If you used a, a company that was not uh, uh, certified to do this kind accredited, of certification. what you got to say. Accredited, correct. Yeah. Good term. Uh, and if if you did not use a, an accredited uh, company, then why didn't you? You know, they have to explain that. And if you did not, then this election is null and void. And 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 but this is this this is something. Oh shoot! I don't think as easy as what you said, Robert. Do you? And and yes, it can happen because we're right now in a new election in Georgia. So we know that new elections can happen, you know. No and, wonder and Tom's so, dropping f bombs, people. He's freaking yeah. out, folks. Yeah, he's freaking out because uh, it's on his watch that this happened. Uh, so, look, in in logistically and pragmatically, can a new election happen? And if it did, when would it happen? Or be uh, probably December, December 6th probably would be the correct date. They could do it well, that then they quickly. They better get on it, man. They yeah. could do it that quickly, yeah. And because the, the people who would be running the new election would not be the people who ran it before. But let me throw something else well, out, Robert, to consider. They can do it that quick, but uh, if the machines aren't certified by an accredited company, you can't get them certified by an accredited company that quick. You'd have to go do these paper ballots uh, counted by hand, would you not? Yes. And and if, oh, if it yeah. were not for the machines, we wouldn't have this problem. Um, I, uh, I watched uh, Mark Fincham this morning. Uh, he's a little more knowledgeable than I am. And he said, actually, the only county that needs to do a new election is Maricopa. All the other counties are just fine. Well, isn't that because Ooh. the Republicans won in those counties? I mean, uh, why is that? Why is that that well, we're just picking on Maricopa County? Well, well, because uh, most of the, um, the the objections aren't in the way that they went about it. Isn't so much as the results. Uh, no one's complaining about the way the other counties uh, perform their elections and how I they did the other counties have certified machines. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I am though. I'm. Oh no, I and I agree. I, I, with machines. I, I wish I were the one. I wish I were the one that got to decide, but I don't. Uh, all of us, and, and it's our election. So the nice thing is that this is great awareness that people need to understand that there's the right way to do things. We're the ones who own the election and all of us need to stand up and say enough. We want things done right yeah. because you're the hired help and, uh, and you're not doing it right. And we, and we're tired of you doing it wrong. 
Now, one of the interesting things that I want to point out, Sheriff Mack, what they're trying to say across the country now that we at the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, CSPOA, have really pushed for and stand behind all 3,000 sheriffs uh, investigating elections in their jurisdictions. What they're fond of saying is, oh, the sheriff doesn't have jurisdiction there. Uh, the election commission does or the this or the that or the other. And my response to these people is I need you to give me a list of where the sheriff has no authority to deal with criminal activity. Uh, and okay. uh, show me that list, and we'll talk about that list. Because I didn't know there was a list that law enforcement had no authority over. Did you, Sheriff? No. As a matter of fact, if the election commission has committed a crime, the sheriff has every duty and responsibility to investigate them or anyone else. It doesn't matter if this uh, crime uh, was perpetrated by China or Russia or Middle Eastern countries who hate the United States, or a mafia syndicate in New York City. It doesn't or matter. Grandma socialist. The what? Or grandma socialist. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. Socialist is the grandma. Be... The point is it doesn't matter who. No, it does not. And uh, these people who try to say, oh, the sheriff's trying to meddle in elections. It, it, yeah, he tries to meddle in rape and murder and family fights and drunk driving and so on and so on and so on. This is a crime. If it happened I in his what? county, he should investigate. What's the list of crimes that he doesn't have jurisdiction over? Because they make this claim without evidence, though. Show me the list of crimes of criminal activity well, that the sheriff has no jurisdiction over. Oh, yeah, it's in the Constitution, right? Yeah, counterfeiting, felonies committed on the high seas. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, actually, he can help with this one, too. He can help with treason. But treason is a federal offense, especially if it's done by right. federal agents, which okay, happens all so, the time. Okay, uh, so as far as I understand, election fraud criminal activity is not on that list of no-nos for the sheriff. It's not in it, – it, when you talk about general jurisdiction or federal jurisdiction, that's the list. I don't see election criminal activity on there. So it's still in the nope, sheriff's. it's not on there. Purview, it's not on there. Right? All right. Of course it is. I'm just kind of, of stupid, and I like to run things to ground to get the answers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Redneck <laughs> stupid. All right, Robert? What do you say to all this, though, Robert? I say the sheriffs absolutely have jurisdiction, and who claim they don't, I want them to come on this radio and TV program and debate me on this. Show me the list of criminal activity the sheriff has no purview for in his own jurisdiction. Well, my experience here in the little town that I live in of uh, Mead View, Arizona, uh, the town, uh, everyone will say, where in the heck is that? Um, th all we have is the sheriff. You know, we're, we're, we, the sheriff is in Kingman, uh, 60 miles away, and yet they do an excellent job of dealing with everything from domestic problems to stolen cars to uh, stolen boats out here on Lake Mead. But they're the only enforcement we have. And without them, uh, fraud, it would just yeah. be, the, it, would, it, it would be the wild west. Yeah. So. I'm just telling you, it's a criminal activity, and we cannot start to say election shenanigans or these mild terms of overreach. We've got to start to call the crime syndicate what it is. This is a highly organized election crime syndicate designed to deep six honest elections, transparent, accountable elections in the United States, Sheriff Mack. That's what we're dealing with, right? Yes, and we're also dealing with uh, a... a Secretary of State, who's in charge of the elections, who was actually running against Kerry uh, Lake, uh, 
uh, for governor. And she should have uh, announced publicly how she was going to stay out of it and make sure that it was run uh, by competent people. But she should have stayed out of it. And there's no such announcement from her anywhere. Uh, Sheriff, because you don't think that I should you... be able to adjudicate my own election. Come on, Sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or or operate and manage your own election. Uh, yeah. because you know, I like to be in charge nation. like that. Yeah. And I would yeah. and I would add that when Cochise County uh, decided, hey, we're going to um, we're we're going to mirror our uh, election with a hand count just to kind of make sure yeah. and see what happened. Uh, uh, she had uh, she, she had a visceral, I mean, a, a visceral reaction. She almost that, no, started no, dropping f bombs tra- like Tom. <laughs> she said, "If you do this, we're we're going to sue you, so you can't do what you want." And it's like uh, that's not the reaction we all expected. And, and I don't Why see any grounds. Her? I don't see any grounds for a, a, an objection or a lawsuit on that. Why wouldn't anybody want? To verify the vote, and, and uh, unless you say like uh, Stephen Richer, I met with Stephen Richer with Randy Randy Miller, and I actually met with him a couple of days. Maybe by the way, Randy the Miller, election. the CSPOA state director for Arizona, is who Richard's speaking Correct. of. Just so for we, clarity, we, Go went, ahead, we did a tour. We did a tour of the voting facility of the tabulation center in Maricopa County that has been on the news nationwide so much the last week and a half. It's been absolute crazy how much uh, we saw there. And uh, Stephen Richard was very open, as was Clint Hickman, uh, County Board of Supervisor. Uh, and we saw it all. We were there two hours, and we asked our questions. The problem with Richard is he is so infatuated uh, and brainwashed regarding uh, using machines, computers, for tabulation of votes. He says they're more reliable. Obviously, they are not more reliable than hand counting. And so if Cochise County wants to take that and go, we're not sure about these uh, tabulation computers. We want a hand count to make sure. You would think that Katie Hobbs and everybody else in the state would say, go for it. We'd love to see that. And we'd love to prove that. All you election deniers, we'd love to prove that. That uh, that you're wrong, but no, they stop it. Just like the audit in Maricopa County uh, back a year and a half ago, uh, the Democrats said we will totally cooperate, but they sued to stop the the audit. That, that, well, that's maybe Stephen Richards. Maybe Stephen Richards getting richer, and that's the point to be had. I don't know, but I would say to this to Stephen: when the Pentagon gets hacked. You know computers yeah. aren't as uh, reliable as you hope. And if the Pentagon is getting hacked, we might have trust. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we well, went over all of that. But go ahead, Robert. Well, the other thing, too, is you got to remember uh, we're fortunate in, in, uh, in uh, Arizona that we have paper ballots. Paper ballots are the true uh, test of what really happened. Yeah. And then a lot of states, they don't have paper ballots, and they have no ability to audit anything. And Well, Robert, let me, let me the things- articulate this slightly. Paper ballots are one of the keys, but they've also got to be matched to some kind of a state ID card and a signature relating to who cast that ballot. Uh, there's There's more to it than that because ballots are paper, and yes, you can count them again. At least there's a paper trail, but you've got to tie that paper trail to real human, listen carefully, 
registered voters that are not illegal aliens, that are not dead, that are not too old. And I don't mean to make fun of anybody here, but senile or whatever you want to call it to vote, um, <laughs> et cetera. You've got to tie it to real people that are real registered American voters as well, Robert. And that's absolutely true. And I don't know if you saw it recently. Uh, my senator, Sonny Borelli, uh, did an outstanding job of pointing out that they finally located uh, almost magically uh, two years to the day uh, when the statute of limitations runs out, of course, um, the images of the envelopes of the mail-in ballots from 2020. And he had, um, he, he had a, there's a team that he worked with who, who went through only 105,000 of those, uh, those uh, ballots looking at the signature and, Whereas before, uh, another person did a did a results on it and said, well, it was a few thousand. It wouldn't have made a difference. And yet, just in 105,000 uh, manually going through every image, they found 22,000 ballots that should not have been allowed to be cast. And they still had one and a half million envelopes to go. So um, it's a little bit too late, but you see the same kind of thing happening now except they did a little something a little different. Uh, they didn't have time to uh, flood the, uh, the, the Maricopa County with the, um, the, uh, a bunch of, of mail-in ballots. So then they found a way to uh, manipulate the way it happens when you do the walk-in because they know the vast majority of people walking in or walking in their ballots because they didn't trust the mail were going to be Republican voters. Yeah. Well, and there you have it. That's why I'm calling for a longer <laughs> preservation of previous election data. Right now, in most cases in the country, as far as I understand, some say it's 22 months, some say it's 23 months. The point is the data is deleted before the next election cycle starts. I maintain they need to keep that data for at least 36 months so that we have the ability to compare this year election or in other words, midterm elections with two years ago elections uh, so that we can look for anomalies there as well. But by de- removing or deleting that stuff at 22 months in, we lose that ability to compare candidly the two election cycles. If you have great anomalies between two years ago and now, there's got to be an explanation for that. But they remove the data so that we don't get that um in my opinion, laser-like focus comparative that we're looking for. So we need to retain that data longer, Sheriff Mack. Yeah, we do. Uh, and there should be no compelling reason not to. Uh, in fact, there is none. Uh, and there so is another too. thing that I can't commit vote fraud as easily as you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, detection of criminals. Uh, but uh, another thing that uh, Robert alluded to, and we probably need to emphasize a little bit more, and that is, Stephen Richer, five or six weeks before the election, announced proudly that we mailed out 1.8 million mail-in ballots, that they mailed all of those out to people who wanted to vote by mail. And then I said, so how do you verify uh, those votes? When they come back in, when people mail those ballots back in, how do you verify that they actually came from the person that's registered to that vote. And you know what he told me? They they go through them hand by hand. They go through each one and some volunteers have to look at the signature of their registration for that person and the signature that's on the envelope and make sure they match. 
And if they don't, they call the person. I, I submit that uh, that is a farce, that they do not verify them, that these people are not qualified handwriting spe specialists, uh, and that they wouldn't know uh, uh, how to do that uh, any more than flying to the moon. So they admit, again, that there's a, a, a system of fraud that's available to people because anybody could mail in those ballots. And if anybody thinks that 1.8 million ballots were hand uh, examined by people who really know what they're doing to verify signatures, I got beachfront property for you in Omaha, Nebraska. This is crazy. It's insane. And this, again, brings up the point. We should not be doing early voting by mail. And only people who are qualified with infirmment and, and uh, military service that cannot, maybe my, my mother-in-law, somebody like that, who's uh, not capable of getting around, but she's totally capable of voting mentally. She's very sharp. People like that should be the only ones. There should be maybe uh, 50,000 of those in, in the entire state. But no, they open it up as much as they can to fraud. And, and isn't that right, Rob? And, and if I can add, Sheriff Mack, uh, the system is not what people think it is. Um, Mail-in ballots are sent out to everyone unless you ask not to get a ballot. So by default, everyone gets a mail-in ballot. It's the system is well, the, up, the my opposite. Wife I, my wife and I got three each. So we literally had six ballots that we never asked for. Six. Right. Six so, ballots. So unless Ain't you did what cool. I did. Was that way you can vote early and often, sir. Yeah, not to get one, you will. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. See, none of, this, none of this has helped calm uh, the distrust that we all have uh, in, the, uh, in these elections. It made it ten times worse. You ready for this, guys? The Attorney General of Arizona now say they cannot certify the vote. Why? Because there's problems. They got to get answers first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I'm not a not. big it. Well, uh, people that General? I've talked to. Yeah. Well, I have people that I've talked to that have experience with the same Attorney General are saying that we need to be a little skeptical and not let our guard down and think, oh, well, somebody's handling it because they're looking yeah, into it. Because exactly. those are the same people who turned in Catherine and Greg to the FBI uh, and, and yeah. why they ended Amen. up in jail. Yeah. All I know is the Arizona AG says, quote, the election can't be certified. Uh, so I agree with Robert. Never let your guard down. Keep an eye on this ball. But it's a good step towards the truth. Robert McDowell, thank you. Sheriff Mack, thank, thank you, you sir. Oh, thank everyone at Brideon and thank all of you for watching. The Posse coming up to become a member at CSPOA.org today. God save the Republic. Regrets? Oh, we're all gonna have them. Doesn't matter who you are or what you do. At some point, you're going to wish you'd done something differently. You know, the woulda, coulda, shouldas. But let me tell you a couple of things you'll never regret. You'll never regret spending extra time talking to your teenager. Trust me.
you'll never regret answering your three-year-old's question about where the water in the bathtub comes from. And I've never seen anyone wish they hadn't sat in the kitchen laughing with their children and telling them goofy stories about when they were kids. Yeah, sure, we're all going to have regrets, but talking too much with our kids won't be one of them. No matter what you talk about, love is what they'll hear. A thought from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Visit us at mormon.org. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit, a battle between forces that would enslave this country in darkness and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. The mission of the Epic Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements in fact. TheEpicTimes.com All right, back with you live TV to radio. It doesn't get better than that. Telling the tale of liberty everywhere we go. Sheriff Mack with me, ladies and gentlemen. Think about what we reported on the TV show, Sheriff. We're really saying we're to the point now where the Attorney General of Arizona cannot, listen carefully, cannot certify the results. Now, I agree with Robert McDowell, our guest. We can't let our guard down. That might be a big ruse. But you know what? When have we in our lifetimes, especially when we've been claiming um, a crime syndicate election fraud scenario, we're going to invest, investigate every county. Um, now, literally the next election, they say without evidence, the next election, they say we can't even certify the results now, blatantly admitting it openly now. I mean, this is uh, we're gaining ground, Sheriff. It's now time to double, triple, quadruple our efforts, not back away. We're gaining the upper hand. They said we claim this without evidence. Now, how much more evidence than you want? than the attorney general of a swing state saying, I can't even certify this. Sheriff? Well, the evidence has been clear all along uh, with this election. Uh, and the first thing was uh, the uh, tabulation machines were not working. And, and yet Stephen Richard says they're more reliable than hand counting. They're faster. They're more, they're more accurate, he said. They're more accurate. So I have a question. What happens when they're not working? Are they still more accurate? Yeah. Are they are they still reliable? Uh, you know, and and then Cochise County has the audacity to say, well, we want to verify these machines with a hand count. They should be doing that. Hold in on. Every Hold county. on. And then they say, we'll sue you if you try that. It's the same exactly. thing where Arizona That's- says we're not going to let Ill- illegals vote. And Biden says, we'll sue you. We'll sue you. We want illegals to vote. What the heck are these people? What more evidence do we want? Yeah, the the insanity, Sam, just keeps marching on. 
And uh, it's good that you brought that part up because for heaven's sakes, folks, we, they try to get it done. And Katie Hobbs, a candidate wants to sue them to, to not do it. That is absolute insanity. Could you imagine that a Republican candidate would be trying to do that? And what the CNNs of this corrupt media that we have in America, what they would be doing and saying about that. But and, and then and when again, they're out of arguments, when we call a halt to their con game by producing evidence, they just say, oh, you're a racist. You're a right wing extremist. You're a domestic terrorist. You're a uh, in fact, before <laughs> Harry Reid uh, passed away, he literally called Richard Mack a terrorist. Why? Because we are getting too close to the truth. Sheriff. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And and so this this whole thing, Sam, uh, just reeks with foul play. Uh, and uh, uh, what is it? Was the term uh, conflict of interest? Yeah, amen. It's conflict of interest, and conflicts of interest actually can be criminal. Uh, not every time, but uh, in in this particular case, it looks like they're heading uh, to criminal. And there's people that are actually calling for charges being made against uh, Stephen Richard. Well, and we're uh, getting close to racketeering. Even, sure. Well, yeah, uh, and and I was actually uh, impressed with Stephen Richer when I met him that day with with Randy Miller, um, uh, and Randy said he wasn't. <laughs> Randy Randy didn't give him the benefit of the doubt on anything, but I thought they well, were and, working. And that's really because hard. when you literally tell me with a straight face that election machines are more reliable, when we've seen on TV shows even. On TV, right. in congressional hearings, that people can hack into those in literally seconds. Right. How can you, with a straight face, tell me what you're saying to me? I mean, look, you just can't lie to me like that. The proof is too irrefutable at this point, is it not? Well, it certainly was ironic that the first thing that happens on Tuesday morning, two weeks ago today, two weeks ago, uh, the first thing that happens is those machines failed. After and, they claim and, they tested them the night before, and they were, quote, supposedly course. certified. They couldn't even get the printers working. They couldn't even get the printers working that put out the ballots to people. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. Don't yeah. worry, you got three of them at your house, Sheriff. We don't need to print one for you. <laughs> yeah. See, it's just insanity, ladies and gentlemen, and that's what we're talking about. That wraps up the simulcast between the Sheriff Mac Show and Liberty Roundtable Live every Tuesday on Brighteon.tv and LovingLiberty.net. Spread the word, share the love. Second hour of Liberty Roundtable Live coming up. Sheriff Mack will stay with me. Uh, and then the Posse's coming up later today, too. Check that out at CSPOA.org. If you want to get updates from us in text, text the letter CSPOA to 53445 and join the CSPOA update list via text messages. For Sheriff Richard Mack, Sam Bushman, God save the Republic. Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk show. 
All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. This is the broadcast for November the 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our two of two. And the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, and to do so on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Wow, folks. Yesterday, we had an incredible program. We had on Dr. Scott Bradley first, freedomsrisingsun.com. And we talked about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, a proper resistance to tyranny, and a repudiation of unlimited obedience to civil governments, ladies and gentlemen. It's a very good book. I think the general premise of the book is indeed correct. However, I want to be very clear. The doctrine of lesser magistrates is to defy tyrants. The lesser magistrate doctrine teaches that when the superior or higher, quote, ranking civil authority makes, quote, unjust slash immoral law, policy, or court opinions, the lower or the, quote, lesser ranking civil authority has both the God-given right and the duty to refuse obedience to that, quote, superior authority. And if necessary, to actively resist the superior authority. Here's the problem with that idea. The, the principle generally morally is true. All right. But the problem that I have with it is we need to realize that <laughs> This civil authority perceived viewpoint is what I'm taking issue with. All right. The general government, the president of the United States, is assumed the highest authority in the land. That's completely backwards, folks. The government that's closest to the people has the highest authority. Remember, the creature is not greater than the creator. The creation is not greater than the creator. The tail does not wag the dog. So the state created the general government, therefore the general government is lesser, even though we perceive it as higher, right, in that, quote, civil authority. So my point is we're mixed up. Whenever we need to discuss authority, God is the ultimate, the supreme, the sovereign, the ultimate authority. Man is a creation of God. Man created governments, a contract with each state having a state constitution and the general government having a general constitution. So since man created these contracts, delegating limited authority to different branches and different jurisdictions, we remain in charge. So the greatest authority is God. Man is next. Government is next. But the government that governs closest to the people, states, for example, created the general government. There's no way the general government can be greater than the creator, the states, and or the people, and or God that created them all. So my only problem with that doctrine is that we fall into this lie and accept the greater and lesser magistrate. I reject that notion on its very face. But I get the point. In the book's introduction, the author describes the three boxes that the founding fathers established in order to preserve liberty and resist tyranny. The ballot box to remove, quote, unjust rulers. We got the jury box, not only... Uh, the judge to judge the facts of a case, but the jury box is also to judge the law itself and to determine whether it's being misapplied or is unjust or immoral. Then the cartridge box to allow an armed citizenry not only to repel a foreign enemy, but also to put a check on government to act against tyr tyranny 
from our own government officials. But those are not the only tools that we have at our disposal, according to the founding fathers, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so we need to be very understanding of this lesser magistrate doctrine. God is the supreme magistrate, ladies and gentlemen. Let's be very clear on that. And let's also be very clear on the simple reality check that we, the people, are created by God. And we, the people, created governments. And they derive their just power from the consent of the governed. That's us. So let's not get confused on the higher or lower lower civil authority and that the lesser power um, can act. Yes, that's true in a fundamental moral point of view. Whenever you align yourself with God, you become the moral high ground. But let's be very clear about where authority really comes from and who really has uh, authority. Uh, Dr. Murray Sabrin is with us now, and I want him to be able to chime in. I don't know if you heard all that, uh, doctor, but I want to kind of get your opinion uh, about that. Well, uh, thank you, Sam, for inviting me uh, on this beautiful day here in southwest Florida. I know the rest of the country is uh, suffering under a lot of snow, and um, here it's 77 degrees. So uh, since Thanksgiving is a couple of days away, I'm very thankful for being in a warm climate. Amen. And you're also thankful for being in the greatest country on the face of the earth. Well, uh, this is what I write about in my uh, New Order biography. Of, uh, this is the land of opportunity. Um, when we came here in 1949, I was a two-year-old uh, with my older brother, who was uh, four years older than I am. And um, uh, my parents were the only ones who survived the Holocaust. And uh, they made a life for themselves and for us so we could live in peace. Let's talk about that, because that's what your whole latest book is about. Uh, and it chronicles who you are, kind of the, your, your family, how you got here, what you've experienced, the whole gamut, right? Well, uh, I'm very proud of this because uh, it covers uh, my first 50 years from 1949 when I was two years old to 1997 when I became the Libertarian Party uh, candidate for governor in New Jersey. And I became the first third party candidate to raise enough money to uh, get the matching funds from the state uh, election commission, which they had a matching fund program back then. They still do. And I was in three debates with the two major party candidates. And uh, it was an incredible experience since I never debated anyone in my life, let alone a sitting governor and uh, a sitting mayor and senator. Back then, uh, New Jersey politicians tended to have two um, two hats, uh, either uh, in the state legislature and the local county official. And there was one individual, believe it or not, Sam, he had three government positions. He was assistant superintendent of schools. He was mayor of the town that he lived in. And he was also a state senator. You talk about triple dipping. I mean, this, this and uh, his pension is probably somewhere in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this is why uh, the American people are upset with what we have in Washington and their state capitals because uh, it's all about grabbing as much money as they can for themselves and their cronies. And that's why people are upset. And that's why we have such polarization in America. And so what I'm trying to do in my retirement years now is to sort of uh, shed the light on what's gone wrong in America, since America is a lot different than when I first came here in 1949, uh, where we didn't have this intrusive big government, although the new deal was in place since the 1930s, and then, of course, the Great Society kicked in the 1960s. And I think it's been all downhill since then in terms of policy. But the wonderful thing about America, and this is something I stress constantly, is that despite all the things that government throws at entrepreneurs, men and women, 
who go every single day to open up their little shop on Main Street to create a new business um, in rural America or suburban America, and big corporations are doing their thing, the American people are the beneficiaries of all the great achievements of entrepreneurs throughout American history. And that's what makes America such a great place. When you got here, you were just little, right? I was just two and a half years old with long blonde hair. That hair has long receded. And um, <laughs> when we arrived in America in, uh, on, uh, on a boat uh, seven days across the Atlantic Ocean, we were met at the uh, New York City Pier on the west side of Manhattan uh, by the Hudson River with, uh, by my mother's aunt and uncle from Patterson who came to America, I think, after World War I. And uh, they were in their, I guess, in their 40s back then, maybe even in their 50s. And uh, my mother was holding me uh, as a two-year-old, uh, getting off the boat. And my, uh, my mother's aunt says to her, you, you wrote me saying you had two boys. What are you doing carrying this little girl with you? And so she had to explain that uh, <laughs> she never cut my hair. And there I had this long blonde hair. And um, I could have been the Gerber baby if they had pursued that. All right, there you have it. Uh, you don't remember coming much, do you? No, I don't remember at all. I, I do remember my father telling me, uh, since the, the uh, voyage was somewhat rocky, I guess, uh, he said I clung to him for the whole trip. Uh, he, he said I, I just stayed with him, and, he, and I stayed with him. I didn't get sick, of, according to him. And uh, so I got my sea legs at a very early age, crossing the Atlantic in 1949. And, um, and uh, he was so grateful to come to America because his mother – uh, grew up in America. I didn't realize that till uh, years later when he told me about his uh, parents. His mother was taken by his gr his great aunt, her aunt, to America. I think in the 1890s, when she was five or six years old, grew up in uh, in Manhattan, and uh, then decided to go back to her native Poland. And of course, uh, she ra got married, raised a family, and perished uh, during the Holocaust. So it's amazing how one decision can have such enormous consequences in a person's life. And so if she had stayed in America, I probably wouldn't have been born. My father probably wouldn't have been born and she wouldn't have died in the, in the Holocaust. So it's just amazing how things turn out in life uh, because of one decision. And that decision was to return to Poland uh, when she was, um, I guess, a teenager in uh, about 1910, because my father was born in 1914. I think he was the oldest of uh, five or six uh, children and they all perished. Uh, so uh, I grew up asking questions constantly of my parents about their experiences during World War II. What was it like growing up in Poland in the 1920s and 30s? And uh, you compare what life was back then, uh, 100 years ago, to life today. And our living standards have increased exponentially since then. Ladies and gentlemen, Murray Sabrin with us. From the immigrant son of Holocaust survivors, to an American libertarian icon. We'll talk about that personal story and his life in seconds on Liberty Roundtable Live. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to localhoneyman.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. 
So purchase your delicious raw honey today at localhoneyman.com. Do you treasure your liberty? Well, at LovingLiberty.net, we most certainly do. And we want to help protect your liberty, too. Become part of the family. Everyone knows that the core of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect the integrity of its family. We the people. Won't you join us as a Loving Liberty sponsor to help us promote the principles in the 5,000-year leap? Let's restore the miracle that changed the world at LovingLiberty.net. Can a nation conceived in liberty carry its head high if it denies protection to the youngest and most vulnerable of its citizens? Can a country founded on God-given rights continue to thrive without understanding that life is a precious gift from our Creator? As a physician, I have looked into the eyes of one-pound babies. I have cradled their small bodies in the palm of one hand. I defy those who are careless, who would disregard life and look at these tiny little miracles and say, we're not going to protect that. But I believe there will come a time when we are all judged on whether or not we took a stand in defense of all life from the moment of conception until our last natural breath. One thing I promise you, I will always take a stand for life. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Murray Sabrin. We're talking about his autobiography. We're talking about from the immigrant son of Holocaust survivors to an American libertarian icon. You want to learn more, murraysabrin.com. He talks about a ton of topics, folks. But in summation, it's this. Dr. Sabrin understands and communicates how libertarianism can save America. And it's really your growing up uh, and the education that you got from your parents uh, about other countries, about other ways of life, contrast with America and the ways of life, and the changes that you've seen during your life that kind of culminate the man and the message, right? Exactly right, Sam. I appreciate that. Uh, Growing up and asking my parents when I became aware that uh, I didn't have any grandparents, I didn't have any aunts or uncles, I didn't have any first cousins, and I try to understand why that happened, and they talked about the war. I don't remember exactly when I first asked them about World War II and their experiences, but what was remarkable when I spoke to my parents, and this takes place over many, many decades from the time I was, I guess, in uh, a a late elementary school, uh, 5th, 6th grade, to junior high school, to high school, uh, there was never any bitterness in their recounting of their experiences during World War II, which I found incredible that here uh, a regime, the Hitler regime, wiped out their families and they had no bitterness at all. In fact, in 1992, 30 years ago, exactly 30 years ago, my wife and I uh, took a vacation to Germany, a bus tour of Germany. This was after the wall came down, so we went into East Germany as well. And we went to where the uh, Berlin Wall was. We saw parts of it there. And uh, when I told my father we're going to Germany for vacation, he said, you've got to go to the town that you were born in right outside of Munich. And we did make it to Munich on the bus tour, but we couldn't get to the town that uh, I uh, was born. And interestingly enough, several years later, the town that I was born was mentioned on um, 
ABC's National News as one of the great spas of the world. Bad Versofen is the name of the town. And I still have my original birth certificate that my father gave me that talks that mentions Bad Versofen, mentions his name, my name. And of, and of course, my name was not Murray when I, uh, when I was born. It was Moses. That was the, um, uh, the Hebrew name that they gave me. And so um, I, I like to tell people, kid them, that uh, I hope that I can take the Americans to the promised land. And that happens through understanding our founding fathers. That happens through understanding the difference between the United States and literally all other nations, Doctor. Well, this, this is another interesting aspect of my life. In 1954, five years after we arrived in America, my parents became U.S. citizens, and they had to go, uh, I think it was to lower Manhattan. We were living in the Bronx at the time. Uh, to uh, to take the oath of uh, being a citizen. And I remember, I was, uh, how old was I then? I was uh, seven years old at the time. This was uh, right before my eighth birthday. And uh, I was with my younger brother, who was a year and a half old, my older brother. And uh, we were staying, uh, I think my parents' friend came to watch us uh, as we were waiting for them to come back from uh, their swearing-in ceremony. And what I remember of that day, this is November 1954, Sam, and I remember I had, they had to pass an exam to, to become a U.S. citizen. You know, they asked you basic questions about the, the founding fathers uh, the, what's the, uh, and other questions about America. And I'm saying to myself as a seven-year-old, uh, what if they don't pass the exam? Are we going to be deported to Germany or Poland? And I was a nervous wreck that day because certainly I only knew about America. I didn't know anything about uh, uh, Germany, where I was born, or Poland, where my parents were from. And so when they came home, I, I asked my father, what type of questions did they ask you? And, they, and, and he said, well, uh, who's the first president of the United States? And, well, I knew that, uh, George Washington, some other questions. I knew all the questions. And then five years later, I became a U.S. citizen, and uh, I raised my right hand to swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. And I started reading the Constitution of what it meant to, uh, for the supreme law of the land to say regarding the relationship between the citizenry and the uh, government. And I can tell you, Sam, the Bill of Rights is a libertarian um, a pronouncement of what government should or should not do. The First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, and all the other amendments really explain in layman's terms what it means to live in a free society. Unfortunately, since 1959, Congresses and presidents since then have really defied the Constitution, have turned their back on our basic rights as, as U.S. citizens, and that's why we're in the mess that we are today with the Patriot Act, with un endless wars, with uh, endless money printing, with um, a, a run amok welfare state. And so uh, we live basically in a post-constitutional America because the people who took an oath to uphold the Constitution, even Supreme Court members, have turned their back on the American people's fundamental rights. And that's why I, as an immigrant, I'm so upset with native-born Americans who didn't have to take an oath to the Constitution and the politicians who did take an oath to the Constitution have really uh, turned America not into the land of the free and the home of the brave, but um, a status society where the government basically rules everything and we have to go back to first principles in order to restore the American, uh, the American people's liberties that the founders gave us. Let's talk about the chapters of your book because it's a personal story, but it's also kind of a an understanding of communicating libertarianism. But it's also 
an understanding of how we've turned our backs on the principles that make America great. But it's also a story of a German-born American, because you became a citizen, professor of finance. This is a riveting story because it touches on so many topics. Well, Sam, uh, my journey began, I guess, uh, in uh, elementary school, junior high school, when my favorite subject was social studies because I was really fascinated with history, geography. And one of the best gifts I ever got was what, uh, in my bar mitzvah, 19, uh, December 1959, when I turned 13, and uh, young Jewish boys have uh, the ritual of becoming a man with the bar mitzvah ceremony. And uh, we had the uh, celebration in our apartment uh, in, in the Bronx. And one of the gifts I got, Sam, was an oversized atlas of the world with every country, with every aspect of geography. And I was just fascinated seeing where the United States was in relationship to Europe and in relationship to Asia and Africa, South America. And I was a geography minor as an undergraduate and a history major because I, I, my goal was to become a social studies teacher. Uh, I decided that in, uh, in high school that I wanted to really give students a great appreciation of the country that they live in and the world that they live in. And what better way to do it than to teach social studies. And so um, I, I started to teach social studies in 1968 through a, one of the tumultuous years in uh, New York City public school history because we had strikes uh, in the early part of the year. And it was a very contentious time as a new teacher. And um, the second year, I didn't teach social studies. I had to teach math, which I was pretty good at since I got a pretty good math education in high school and college. And uh, I said, I really don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So that's when I decided uh, with my wife's support to, um, to uh, get a PhD in geography, to teach geography at the college level. And uh, through a very circuitous route, uh, I ended up teaching economics and, and finance uh, full time for 35 years at Ramapo College because I developed the skills uh, throughout my career in economic research, uh, economic analysis, uh, financial analysis, investment analysis. And this is what I uh, instilled in my students uh, teaching is that your education doesn't stop when you get a piece of paper that says uh, a bachelor's degree or master's degree or PhD. You're constantly learning about uh, new ideas, uh, new processes in business, and um, revised history, uh, and of course today is the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, so I was fascinated with that, seeing that in real time, uh, remembering the day that Kennedy was assassinated in 1963, and I, I was incredulous that a president could be assassinated uh, in America, given all the protection that the president has, and of course uh, the narrative back then, if you recall, was that uh, it was a lone nut, Lee Harvey Oswald, who defected to Russia and then came back uh, to the United States. And uh, I did a lot of reading about it, and uh, there's a wonderful uh, blog post on LouRockwell.com by Charles Burris, who was a history uh, teacher, with all the uh, uh, links to research about the Kennedy assassination, and he points out that this was a coup d'etat against uh, President Kennedy because he wanted to have peace with the uh, Soviet Union after the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. And uh, again, having lived through that, then, uh, we nearly came to a nuclear war in, in October 1962. And that really helped shape my view of uh, war and peace. And again, having the uh, uh, experience of learning about uh, World War II from my parents and then seeing what was going on in the world 
with the tension between the Soviet Union and uh, the United States, I said peace has to be the foremost policy of America. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Murray Sabrin with me. And Murray is a German-born American professor of finance. Now, he's written an incredible autobiography. He just released it, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story. We'll talk about it more in seconds on your hard-hitting, most favorite talk station. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. One of the country's largest railroad unions said that its members voted to reject a new wage deal brokered by the White House and move closer to a strike as soon as December. Union members said Monday they believe that a compromise could still be reached to avoid a work stoppage that would disrupt distribution. Four out of 12 unions have now rejected the proposal contract. Eight have ratified the deal. Reality TV stars Todd and Julie Chrisley were sentenced Monday to lengthy prison terms after being convicted earlier this year on charges including bank fraud and tax evasion. A U.S. district judge in Atlanta gave Todd Chrisley 12 years in prison plus 16 months of probation. Julie got seven years behind bars and 16 months of probation. It's been more than a week since four University of Idaho students were found slain. Since then, the Moscow Police Department and other agencies investigating the quadruple homicide has said this will be a lengthy process. A federal judge has ordered Amazon to stop retaliating against employees engaging in unionizing activities. The ruling came in a court case brought by the National Labor Relations Board, which sued Amazon in March seeking the reinstatement of Gerald Bryson, who was involved in organizing a company warehouse on Staten Island, New York. Some old embryos have become new babies. Katie Lewis from our Midwest Bureau explains. An Oregon couple is celebrating twins that are likely to be the longest frozen embryos to result in a live birth. When Rachel Ridgway gave birth on Halloween, her healthy twins came courtesy of embryos donated 30 years ago. Parents Rachel and Philip used a faith-based National Embryo Donation Center to help grow their family of four other children, all born by natural conception. We are USA Radio News. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for. The needle in the haystack. Four out of five employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com slash free. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Dr. Murray Sabrin, J. 
just released his autobiography, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story, and really being this public intellectual, this uh, incredible libertarian, uh, helping people understand that, you know what, libertarianism can save America. The principles, the founders had a lot of libertarian elements in them. Uh, and, uh, Doctor, I want to kind of um, help people understand this as well. You're Jewish, right? Absolutely. And not a lot of uh, Jew, Jewish people, I don't know, uh, Jewish religion, uh, it's not really focused on libertarianism, right? How'd you get that combination? Because that's a unique story in and of itself, I think. Well, if you look back at uh, some of the great free market economists of the past hundred years, uh, they were Jewish. You know, Ludwig von Mises, uh, Milton Friedman, uh, Murray Rothbard, um, and others, um, uh, and contemporary uh, economists like Walter Block from um, uh, New Orleans and from uh, via uh, Brooklyn. Uh, so there are a whole bunch of um, Jewish and Italian uh, libertarians, uh, Austrian school economists, free market economists who uh, understand economics because uh, Mises paved the way uh, in, in the late 19th, early 20th century with his writings uh, living in Europe uh, during um, the heyday of um, uh, high culture in Austria uh, in Austria and Vienna. He saw what was happening with the ideas of socialism diffusing uh, uh, through the uh, European continent. And of course, and uh, then he saw he served in the horror of World War One, and and uh, then saw what was going on with Russia with the with the uh, with the uh, takeover by the communists. And in 1922, a hundred years ago, his magnificent book was published entitled Socialism, where he pointed out to create a socialist society is impossible. Because in order to have goods and services desired by people, you need to have a free market economy. And he just demolished in 900 pages every aspect of the socialist theory of how it would create a wonderful society. And so for that, he should have won a Nobel Prize in economics, plus his 1912 book on uh, money and credit, which I read before uh, while I was in graduate school in the 1970s, describing how money is, is uh, develops in a free society, why it's important uh, to uh, have uh, gold as the premier uh, money in our society and that paper money is basically a, a substitute for gold it doesn't it isn't money itself and so uh his student Murray rothbard in 1974 wrote this wonderful pamphlet monograph that's available free at the mises.org website what has government done to our money and from that and his other writings i developed my dissertation topic at rutgers and how money spreads through the economy and affects local um, regions. And so that was my contribution to inflation and uh, monetary theory, that uh, it's a process that uh, takes place step by step, that it impacts local communities differently than other communities. And we're seeing this in the data today, where the housing market has been on fire in certain communities, which has raised the uh, uh, price inflation in the South, especially Tampa, Arizona, where people are flocking to from the rest of the country because of COVID and other restrictions. And so, um, so I was able to use the data to show that uh, this is exactly how inflation works. It's, it works step by step, and it hurts the very people that the policymakers say uh, they support, low-income folks, uh, senior citizens, uh, blue-collar workers. Uh, these are the people that are hurt by high prices. There's an article in the local paper today how Thanksgiving dinner 
is going to be so much more expensive than last year. People are substituting uh, products that are, are less expensive than the traditional Thanksgiving dinner. This is all the result of the Federal Reserve creating trillions of dollars in 2020 uh, because of uh, COVID lockdowns. And, um, and this is why government policies never achieve their stated goals of uh, sustainable prosperity because you need a free market for entrepreneurs to gather the resources together to make sure that they know what consumers want. That's why marketing is such important and and, uh, market research is so important and have a society where consumers are satisfied, entrepreneurs make profits and this, this process continues over time. So each generation has their living standards increase because of all the capital that's been invested to improve, um, to improve society. I look back at my own lifetime in the past 50, 60 years, uh, there have been incredible advances in technology and other aspects of our life, and prices have come down. In fact, when I was a little kid, Sam, in the 1950s, when color TV was first introduced into the market, I was in uh, elementary school, and I said, why would anyone buy a color TV right now when it was like $1,000 or more? Back in the 1950s, that's like $10,000 today. And, I, and intuitively, I said, when a new product is introduced, it'll eventually come down as production gears up and you have more supply. And as demand increases, uh, supply will, inc- will increase faster than demand and prices will come down as they uh, perfect the techniques of production. That's exactly what's happening in our lifetime with all these high-tech gadgets. Um, our first color TV when, I, when we were married was in 1970. We paid $320 for this big bulky TV that you needed an antenna on the roof of the apartment building to get any service. And now for $320, you could probably get a 50-inch TV that is high definition, whose picture quality is probably a million times better than what I had in that in a 25-inch TV in 1970. That's why you came up with the term the Federal Reserve sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and got I really it think- because... The- I really think that highlights the truth that people need to understand. We can have somewhat of a boom and bust economy. We can pretend uh, that it's going well, and temporarily at least it can feel good with the sugar high or the cocaine high of kind of the Federal Reserve um, stimulating the economy. But it's all going to come back to haunt us. The only real answer is honest money, and you highlight that better than anybody with the simple phrase, the Federal Reserve sucks. Yeah, that book was written when I was on sabbatical uh, in uh, my final years at Ramapo College, and it came out uh, three years ago. And then my other book came out a year ago, Navigating the Boom-Bust Cycle for Entrepreneurs and the General Public to see where we are in the cycle. And uh, a year ago, I wrote an article predicting that there'd be a major recession in 2023. And that's, that looks exactly where we're headed in 2023, when a lot of uh, these well-known uh, economists and uh, and talking heads are saying the recession's coming next year. Well, I wrote about that a year ago because the handwriting was on the wall. Once the Federal Reserve creates all this money and keeps interest rates artificially low, they're gonna generate an unsustainable boom, which then has to be corrected by uh, a bust to get the economy back onto an even keel. And that's what we're seeing right now. Companies are laying off people left and right. Uh, Unemployment is still relatively low because the service sector is still, doing fairly well, but it's the high-tech sector that's, uh, that was uh, inflated uh, beyond, uh, beyond its capability to be sustainable, and now it's, it's correcting. That's what a recession is all about, correcting the mistakes of the boom. And um, the Austrian School of Economists explained that beautifully in, in so many books and uh, articles over the last hundred so years, 
And so I picked up that theme in the 1970s and wrote a dissertation about that. And um, I've been writing about that ever since. And so uh, I think it's important for the American people to realize it's not Biden's inflation. It's not Trump's inflation. It's the Federal Reserve's inflation. And they're the ones that cause it because they have the power of the printing press. They have, as I like to explain to people, an unlimited checking account. Can you imagine, Sam, having an unlimited checking account? If the Federal Reserve wants to buy a trillion dollars of government debt, they can do so today by just uh, entering a few uh, uh, punches into the computer, and they can buy the debt from uh, the selected government securities dealers who have uh, treasury securities and other securities that the Fed could buy on their balance sheet, and they could be transferred to the Federal Reserve. And where does the Federal Reserve get the money to buy? They just create it out of thin air. We mortals, Sam, we have to work for a living. We don't, we, can't, we don't have an unlimited checking account. We have to be productive so people buy our goods and services, and everyone is a win-win. Everyone do, uh, gets a win-win. But when the Federal Reserve creates money, uh, the people who benefit are the people who are the early recipients of that money, and that's usually... Um, uh, the banking sector, the financial sector, because we had this huge stock market and bond market boom, which uh, busted this year. Um, and of course, the, uh, all the recipients of government spending, uh, the military industrial complex and others who benefit from the trillions of dollars that the Federal Reserve, the federal government spends every year. So we have a lot of work to do to get America back to the vision of the founders, which is limited government, personal responsibility, and a free enterprise economy and uh, peace around the world. As uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson said, we should have commerce with everybody because uh, that's going to be a, a, a way to have peace because it's very hard to have uh, commerce when, when the bombs are, fl are flying, as we see in the Ukraine right now. So um, I've been adamant in my support for uh, a peaceful foreign policy. I was opposed to all these wars that the United, the undeclared wars that the United States has engaged in. And um, being in college during the Vietnam War, that was a total disaster um, because Johnson and the military industrial complex wanted it, and they got it. And um, as they say, the rest is history. We've been living with these undeclared wars for now uh, since uh, the Korean War for, for uh, This is getting too now. good. Hang on, doctor. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's skip the break for a second. All right, there you have it. We're talking to Dr. Murray Sabrin, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about his autobiography. It's incredible. Uh, MurraySabrin.com, uh, if you want to learn more about what he's doing, about his tremendous books, his professorship, his experience, how he a, a, was a German-born uh, economist, American professor of finance, uh, and how he came to America, what he's learned by being here, how he understands and educates about the importance of how libertarianism can save America. Uh, and I want to highlight this. You know, the Federal Reserve sucks, folks. And uh, he is the author of a book, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. Uh, and that's really important to understand. You can check out that book. You can also check out his just-released autobiography, folks, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American Story. Uh, it's great understanding what this land produces. Well, when people come from other places and realize the genius of the founding fathers, realize the brilliance of a free market, free enterprise system, uh, and realizing the Federal Reserve sucks. Now, do you expect, I know Ron Paul wanted to audit and end the Fed. I support him a gazillion percent in that reality. Audit the Fed, prosecute the criminals, and then end the Fed is what we need to do. Do you think you'll ever see that happen in our lifetime, or will they just take us to war, doctor? 
Well, that's the $64,000 question. When I fought, first started learning about the Federal Reserve and its impact on the economy and uh, read a tremendous amount about financial and economic history of the last 200 years, it seemed to me, uh, and it still seems to me, that the way this is going to end is when uh, foreign holders of dollars and U.S. Treasury securities say enough is enough. And I think we're starting to see that process. Uh, the Chinese, I think, have announced that they're not going to buy much more government debt, if at all. Other countries are getting very nervous about the uh, debt of the United States government and the, uh, the constant printing of money. They're holding dollars that are de uh, being depreciated in, in, in value. And so they're getting very, very uh, uh, concerned about where the financial future of America is headed. And so if foreigners decide no longer to hold dollars and start cashing them in, which is, by the way, what nearly happened in 1979, 1980, when we were very close to a total dollar collapse, and then uh, Volcker uh, uh, became uh, Fed chair, he raised interest rates to attract dollars to America, and the dollar was saved, and the American economy went into a, st a steep recession that cleared out a lot of the inflation of the late 1970s under Jimmy Carter. Um, and so we had a big boom in the 1980s and 90s. But now uh, the U.S. economy is not as strong as people think it is, even though the unemployment rate is low. So the Federal Reserve will continue to do what it does, which is pump money in, pump money out, keep on manipulating interest rates until foreigners say enough is enough. And uh, then what will happen is the U.S. government will either have to cut spending dramatically to get the budget into balance, or they're just going to flood the economy with money and the Treasury will take over and the Federal Reserve will just flood the economy with money to prop everything up. And that's when you could have a runaway inflation like you had in Germany in the early 1920s. So there are so many possible scenarios that, uh, uh, that could happen over the next 10, 20 years. So the question is, how much longer can the Federal Reserve continue to uh, prop up the U.S. economy with uh, cheap money? And... Um, I think it's going to be a rough haul this decade. In fact, uh, there's a good possibility that, uh, given what I observed in American financial history, that the end of this decade, 2029, is the 100th anniversary of the stock market crash of 1929. And if you look at the data, there have been these 100-year cycles in American history that uh, is quite fascinating. I don't know the explanation for it. I just observed it. The Panic of 1819, the Forgotten Depression of 1920, uh, the implosion of the COVID uh, economy in 2020, uh, the, the Panic of 1873, the oil crisis of 1973. So we've had these 100-year cycles. Uh, the uh, the uh, Panic of 1907, the Great Recession of 2007, 2008. So when I look at financial history, which I taught for many years, and I see these 100-year um cycles, I say, what is going on here? I don't know uh, what explains it. All I know is the next possible 100-year cycle uh, event could happen in 2029, 100 years after the crash of 1929, which ushered in a decade-long depression. So uh, we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, uh, people have to uh, be nimble in their own personal finances to uh, stay, keep their head above water because uh, prices don't seem to be coming down. Uh, right away. They may come down if they have a steep recession next year uh, and in 2024. And if that happens, um, uh, it's good to have a lot of cash on hand because then you could buy a, probably a lot of cheap stocks, which some people did in 1933 when the market uh, had declined 
and some people made a fortune in the 1930s and 40s because they bought stocks at the, at the rock bottom low of 1933. Ron Paul just wrote an incredible column that I find fascinating when you talk about the boom and bust and the cycles, etc. cetera. Uh, and the headline of his column by Ron Paul is called A Tale of Two Midterms. Uh, and he talks about the midterm of 2010 versus the midterm of 2022. In 2010, he says the liberty movement's focus was and is on restoring constitutional government in all areas, ending our, quote, interventionist foreign policy and changing our monetary policy by auditing and eventually ending the Federal Reserve and legalizing alternative currencies so there's free market competition. He says this time around, though, the Republicans didn't do anything like that. They didn't articulate a mission, a plan, a go-ahead. Uh, they didn't do what they should have done, and that's why the big loss and the big change and the big difference. And he highlights that uh, to articulate where we need to go, Doctor. Yeah, I, I thought the Republicans were going to win at least 36 seats. It, uh, I just took that, that number out of random. Because in 1966, uh, uh, right after Johnson uh, got us heavily involved in Vietnam and the economy was heading south, the Republicans picked up, I think, 47 seats in 1966. And, uh, and then we know two years later, Johnson announced he was not going to run for re-election because the Vietnam was going, Vietnam was going poorly. Uh, inflation was accelerating. Uh, spending was out of control in Washington. And so the Republicans didn't have a message. And unfortunately, Donald Trump didn't take the high road after 2020, uh, like Nixon did after 1960, when uh, there were allegations that election was stolen from Nixon in 1960, who then lost the governorship of California in 1962. And people wrote his uh, political obituary. But what Nixon did was he went around the country helping elect uh, uh, Republicans. And in uh, 1968, he got the nomination and squeaked by uh, Hubert Humphrey to win the presidency in 1968 after everyone thought Nixon was a goner because of uh, his two losses in the early 60s. So Trump, unfortunately, uh, was looking backwards as a political candidate instead of looking forward. And I think that cost the Republicans dearly. All he should have said, oh, first of all, he shouldn't have gotten involved in primaries, first of all. Secondly, he should have said, we need to elect a Republican Congress to stop the craziness of the Biden administration because they're, they're digging us a hole of debt and spending, and um, we need to restore uh, the American Republic with free markets and limited government. That's all he had to say. And he would have, and I think the Republicans would have cashed in in the Senate and the House instead of, uh, instead of talking about the, 19, uh, the 2020 election, which really... Um, focused people on Trump as a sore loser when uh, there appears to be substantial evidence that the election was stolen. But the point is, what are you going to do about it in 2022? Let's focus on 2022 and 2024. And I think he, he would walk into the nomination in 2024 if he had played the Nixon card, which is forget about the previous election and talk about what needs to be done for the American people right now with constitutional policies, that would make him a hero, uh, uh, I think, across the political spectrum, especially civil liberties, because, you know, the left loves civil liberties. It doesn't seem they like it anymore because they're big fans of uh, censorship and uh, uh, deplatforming people and cancel culture. So I think Trump really missed an opportunity to really become 
the most popular president in American history if he had just stayed on do you message. Think, do you which think is, he still has a chance to recover and re- reposition that, that point? It's going to be very tough, I think. I think um, I saw his announcement in uh, Mar-a-Lago, and uh, there wasn't the type of message that I think he could have delivered. And uh, it's going to be very tough for him because I think a lot of the uh, insiders in the Republican Party, uh, which were against him back in uh, 2016, are certainly not going to be with him uh, this time around. He still has his fan base around the country. But the question is, is it enough for him to get the nomination? And if it is enough to get him the nomination, how will he do in the general election if he if he talks again again about 2020 instead of 2024 in the future of the country? So again, you've got to stay focused on a message that is a winning message. You have to appeal to independents, and independents apparently uh, voted against Trump because that's what some of the polling shows. Uh, people in 2022 voted against Trump, which is bizarre since he wasn't on the ballot, but because he had such a high profile during the, during the campaign. Um, People who didn't like Trump got energized and went to the polls and voted uh, Democratic instead of Republican. Let me ask you a philosophical question, and it's a a broader discussion about how America will do. You know, America does what uh, free markets do. Free markets are in trouble. America's in trouble. Free markets are good, and America's good for the most part. Now, there's downstream discussions from that, uh, but here's the question. If we don't have honest money because the Federal Reserve sucks, because they literally create money out of thin air, and then they literally charge us interest on, uh, and since they're the only uh, source of money, they've got a monopoly, you'll never get out of debt. It's impossible with that kind of a scenario going. So if we don't have honest money, what makes us think we'll have honesty in any other aspect of our society, including elections, doctor? Well, that's a great point. That is really the great point. In fact, I would even tie it to to something else, abortion. If if we're willing, if people are willing to condone the destruction of human life in the womb, then the destruction of money is no big deal because uh, it's, it's not human life. And so I like to tie into this whole notion. What do you believe in that is of value? Is human life value? Yes, it is. Is, is, is uh, honest money value? Yes. Is it honest products that uh, people buy in the marketplace value? Yes. So we have to create a society where people value things. And if you don't value human life, then it's very hard to value things that we ordinarily take for granted. And um, it's a sad commentary in our culture how, um, how the uh, pro-choice movement has, has really uh, uh, made the whole notion of life uh, very, very tenuous. And, and that's why we see in cities, cities around the country, uh, district, attorney, uh, district attorneys uh, letting criminals go with no bail. Uh, and so um, this, is, this is why... Uh, I'm so concerned about the future of the country because uh, there are people here, I, I believe, who would, at the drop of a hat, imprison people like they did in Germany in the 1930s. Yes, they if would. The proper, if, if you don't have the proper thinking about uh, about And they're life trying to do that right now. Just imagine a candidate that would come out and say, ladies and gentlemen, the Federal Reserve sucks. If you want honesty in society, you've got to go back to honest money. Uh, honest weights and measures, as the Bible calls it, and you got to go back to the fundamentals of protecting life, liberty, and property. And if we protected life, the most innocent among us, we could have God smile upon us once again. That's my candidacy. I will bring back honest money. I will bring back honest elections, and I will bring back the pro-life stance that most of America is well known for and have been for decades. Uh, I almost think you could run on a simple campaign like that, doctor, and do very well. 
I think I think the other thing you'd add to, I'm not going to send your sons and daughters to fight wars in other countries that are that have nothing to do with the national security of the American people. Maybe we need Dr. Sabrin to run for president. What do you say to that? <laughs> well, at at my at this stage of life, and I'm, since I'm not eligible to run for president, I'm a, I'm a natural born citizen. Even though I was born under the American flag in southern Germany, I looked at the map after World War II, and uh, the Americans controlled the area that I was born under. So maybe uh, I, I I am eligible, but that the last thing I would want to do at this stage of my life is uh, 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 <laughs> crisscross the country. Uh, I mean, th- your platform and other platforms on and talk radio and hopefully cable TV to uh, to uh, explain my story, to uh, let people know about uh, why liberty is our birthright. It's not something that government gives to us. It's our birthright. And if the politicians um, uh, accepted that c- concept, then uh, our problems would go away and we would have the free society that the founders envisioned for America. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Murray Sabrin. MurraySabrin.com was our guest today. We're talking about his book. He's the author of Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. Also, his newly just released autobiography, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, an American story. Uh, You know, we're talking about solutions for the country, ladies and gentlemen. Every time he gets on the air, he uses the history of understanding what an immigrant's life is like, uh, contrasting the blessings of America, because America uh, embraced at least when he got here, a free market. It's changed since, and we've got to stop that erosion of our liberties. We need to understand the proper role of constitutional government. We need to understand the checks and balances, and we, the people, need to simply hold them to it. Thank you, Dr. Sabrin. Thank you, Sam. And just to let you uh, listeners know at murraysabrin.substack.com, I wrote a piece today on what I'm thankful for of being an American. So that's the way they can read all about my uh, uh my post about uh, about being an American at murraysaven.substack.com. And a huge happy Thanksgiving to all of you. For Dr. Sabrin, Sam Bushman, the Sheriff Richard Mack, and many other guests on the broadcast today, we thank all of you. And we say to you, we can preserve the nation. This nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.